Every day, quiet please, every day in our culture, we see signs again and again of how the culture has walked away from the things of God. God in Exodus and again repeats in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 5, his law. His law is the basis of all Western law. It's the basis of what helps our society to work. And because we've walked away from it, we can see the chaos day by day growing in our culture because God's commandments are ignored often, often it seems. So this morning we're going to just look at them again, just to briefly go over them. I don't know if I'll get through all ten today, but uh, we will hopefully have a good discussion about uh, the beauty and the purity and the wonder of God's law. So I want to open before I pray from the setting, Exodus 19, right before the giving of the law. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you uh, for the beauty of your law. We thank you that it points us to our need for grace, and we thank you that our Savior, Christ, accomplished that on the cross. Father God, we ask that you would help us to uh, use this time to think about uh, what your law points us to, and to be thankful in our hearts, our minds, our souls for the beauty that is there. We thank you all. We pray that it be a productive time. We pray especially for the people down in Florida that are facing uh, quite a large hurricane coming in with this Dorian. We pray for the people of Texas, another broken-hearted day in Texas with the shootings that went on yesterday. And just again and again, we see just how our culture has walked away from the things of God. So we pray that this time would be holy and pleasing in your sight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, the Ten Commandments, there's a, a word in one of the commentaries I was using, thankfully, out of Tim's library, uh, from uh, Donald Mottier, Mottier. Um, and he talks about how the Ten Commandments are really... Sinach, Sinach, I went to Google to make sure I had the right pronunciation, but Senadoch, or Senadoch, Synecdoche, that's it, that's it. Thank you. Google, my Google thing was uh, not available. But the synecdoche really points to something that points to a larger thing. Like, for instance, if I said uh, last night the Diamondbacks beat the Dodgers, or the Phoenix beat the Dodgers, I, you would not think that uh, the city of Phoenix had come out in, with bats and, uh, and clubs to beat up on the Dodgers. We know I'm talking about the team. If I said to Mark Anderson, uh, you know, I was down in New Mexico to, to drop Catherine off at college. Were there many people missing from church? And he, he would respond to me, well, I saw a lot of faces missing. Well, I wouldn't think that there were a lot of headless bodies running around. So it's not, the word <laughs> represents a greater thing. And that's what each of the Ten Commandments are. The depth that's there of God's character, his holiness, the beauty of uh, his being and his purity, and we see this just, there's just so much to know and so much to see how God is calling us in our hearts and our deeds to um, reflect his character. So we, we live in a very anti-law age. We see again and again how 
in the last 15 years, there's been several um, lawsuits brought against cities because they had uh, displays of the Ten Commandments. What's ironic about that is if you go, there's the outline there, if you go to the, our Supreme Court, what do you see above the justices? There's a representation of the Ten Commandments. So there's real kind of cultural schizophrenia about that. You know, there was a time when no one thought twice about it. Um, in the 1950s, in the second commandment, we talk about not having idols, not having representations of God. Well, one of the things that was a stumbling block in some ways for me growing up was watching the movie The Ten Commandments, right? Because the movie gives you uh, one man's version, Cecil B. DeMille's version uh, of what The Ten Commandments was like. And uh, we see, you know, the representation of, of the law coming down, of, of the... Uh, the uh, attack against, or the uh, the judgment against the uh, judgment against the Egyptians as God delivers them out of Egypt, but it also was a marketing opportunity for Mr. Demille because he and I I don't know if it was Warner Brothers or 20th Century Fox whatever the the studio was they gave out about five four to five hundred copies stone copies of the Ten Commandments and if you look in in the time, 1956-1957, these monuments were about this high, and they basically were just uh, the Ten Commandments, the two, the, the two tablets. The first four are duties to God, the, the, the last six are duties to man. And not one, not one of those cities rejected that and said, oh, we can't have that. But in recent years, that has become just a, a, a point where cities have had to go uh, because various organizations, uh, people for the American way, people for uh, the American Society of, of Atheists, have brought suits saying that this is a religious representation and because of the separation of church and state, this is wrong. Well, one of the cases that was won for the state, of, for a city in Texas, was the Van Orden versus Perry case. And it's kind of been used as a 2005, they brought this case against the city. And the majority opinion was written by Justice um, Rehnquist, who basically said, yes, there's a religious component to the Ten Commandments, but there's also an historical component, and this is not offending anyone. And so this particular city was allowed to keep it up. It, it speaks more about the fallenness of man's heart, though, that it's even an issue, and how the culture has changed in the last 50 years, that no one would object to it in 1956 or 57 about in a public place having the Ten Commandments, and yet it's become such an issue. So we live in an anti-law age, and one of the things that you hear people talk about is, I, I don't, people that, that aren't of faith, they'll say, well, I, I'm uncomfortable with the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments are prohibitions. I don't like that, that, that they tell me what I can't do. They totally miss the point, right? God had delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. Every one of the plagues that come against the, the Egyptians was uh, judgment against a god. And I, a few years ago, over, I think about uh, two periods of 20 weeks, about 10 and 10, I, I taught on the book of Exodus. And the book of Exodus, you know, the, the, the chapters that deal with the uh, delivery of God's people from Egypt it's clear that the Egyptians worshipped the sun, they worshipped frogs, they worshipped insects, they had a god of the river, all those things. So God, one by one by one, is bringing judgments against these false gods. And so, in the preamble to the uh, Ten Commandments, 
God says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So this is a delivered people. Uh, the two commentaries that, and some of the other writings I was reading consistently bring up this theme that God isn't saying, do this and you'll be holy. He's saying, you are a delivered people. I've delivered you out of bondage. To live a life that's reflective of my character, these are the things. And each one of them points to an aspect of God's character. Uh, it's interesting, too, that throughout the Old Testament narrative, you see again and again that God spoke through the prophets. But here at Deuteronomy 20, or Exodus 20, verse 1, what does it say? God spoke. God's directly speaking through Moses to the people. And it's interesting if you read uh, chapter 19 of, of Exodus, how God prepares them. Three different times, Moses goes up to the mountain. And what is the indictment that God gives to Moses? He says, you know, warn the people, don't come near. You know, a, whole, a, a, a fallen people, a sinful people can't approach a holy God. And the last time, he brings Aaron with him. Why is that? Well, because Aaron is the head of the priesthood, right? The Levitical class, the Aaronic priesthood. And he's going to stand there. And we see in the narrative, as the narrative unfolds, and as the, the uh, ark is established, as the, the tabernacle is established, that the high priest goes in once a year. What? To offer sacrifice. They offer the, the sacrifice of innocent blood for the sake of the sins of the people. So we see a lot of, a lot of preparation here. Things that will come to full fruition are here in Exodus 19 and Exodus 20. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of liberty, or out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God is saying, you know, I'm giving you liberty. I'm redeeming you from this. And, you know, it, I've been reading a lot this year in, in Table Talk. They're going through um, First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. And it is, it is a really a heartbreaking thing to see again and again how God warns them. He starts here, you know, warns them very clearly about don't go worshiping. Don't become syncretic. Don't do the things that the people around you do. And you see again and again how the people's hearts are taken away. Uh, this week in Table Talk, they were talking about Solomon, how his wives, right? Solomon starts out very well, and we know that the wisdom that God had provided him, uh, and yet, he, in the end, he, he falls to false worship. His heart was taken away because of the worship of the many wives that he had. Um, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. There's a book that came out about 15 years ago called The Day America Told the Truth. It's by uh, James Patterson and Peter Kim. And he said, if you really ask people, uh, they may not put it in these terms, but he said, they all have commandments of their own. And he said, some of the examples, he said, I don't see the point in making Sunday any different than the other day. Right? What have we seen in our culture? You know, when I was a kid, uh, you had, uh, that sounds old, right? When I was a kid, uh, <laughs> But when I was a child, you, you had to depend upon getting stuff done Saturday night because most of the stores were closed. All the major department stores, all, all the, you know, the, the, the kind of general stores that were open were closed. And this, is, this was in Los Angeles. This is not talking about small town. This was Los Angeles. The liquor stores were open on Sunday. I remember that. Um, but uh, um, the, for the most part, there, there was a cultural consensus, an idea that, that Sunday was different. And... From the 1960s on, we've seen that all go away. In terms of uh, purity in the culture, uh, about 
four or five months ago, I was channel surfing and I came upon a TV show that was the, one of the number one rated TV shows in 1960. Who's old enough to remember Dobie Gillis, right? <laughs> so it was a portrait of what it was like to be a young college student at the time. And what struck me about, about that was that the teacher, William Schallert, later to be Patty Duke's father, if you know who William Schallert is, that he played Patty Duke's father in the Patty Duke show, but he's a college professor and he's talking about the duties of marriage. And there's 30 students in the class and not one of them raises their hand and goes, you're talking about patriarchy, that's wrong, you know. I, you're talking about things that offend me. No, it was, marriage was something that was part of the culture, you know, and, and there was no, no objection to it. Um, Patterson and Kim also say, you'll see in the culture people say, I, I take things from work or I steal, but people don't miss it. And, and if, if it's not missing, is it really stealing? You know, we see this, we see this at work. You know, we're constantly having new inventories of things to make sure that people are not taking state stuff. Sometimes inordinately people take, or inadvertently people take stuff and they don't mean to. But that, that is a cultural ethos now. You know, if, if no one misses it, is it really stealing? I will lie when it suits me so long as it doesn't cause me any real damage. God calls us to be people of truth, that, that our tongues are, are to, you know, communicate truthfulness. And um, we, we see in the culture all too often, you know, where the truth is shaded and how sometimes we used to have a cultural consensus that when you went in a courtroom and you put your hand on the Bible and you said what? So help me God, right? That somehow that was a statement of that I, I would be truthful. And yet you see case after case where they find that, that people have lied in court. Um, we still have um, the, the uh, symbol, at least, on the, every four years when the president is inaugurated, the president puts his hand on the Bible. And it's the idea that, that God's word, that there's a significance to God's word. And you're, 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 stay, you're stating that you are going to honor the Constitution, that as a leader of the, the United States, that you will honor and protect the United States based on the truth of uh, the Bible, the God, God's word. Uh, one of the things as a supervisor I have to deal with is procrastination at work where, um, you know, about nine, ten years ago, very, very thankfully, because I use it for various purposes, but they put it, the internet into the office. And we have to constantly be, not constantly, but often send out memos to our staff about, you know, please be, be aware that it's there for you to use to look up information regarding the seniors or the disabled. But it's not there to be looking up TMZ or the movie reviews or all the various other things. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll, my social workers all work in cubicles, so I'll walk up and you get this, like, you know, they shut, shut the screen down. The, we are called to be productive. One of the things in the commandments that says, you know, that we are to honor, we're not to steal. It isn't just a matter of physical stealing. It's also the idea of stealing time, you know, being productive in, in, in the use of our time. So what Patterson and Kim say is they ref these statements reflect a culture dominated by moral relativism. The ethic is that we are free to make up our own rules based on our own personal preferences. They don't come from a god anymore, but something we come with, with on our own. And it's interesting if you look at each of the statements, and I didn't put down all the, the they had their own Ten Commandments, but each one of them is obviously a, a direct violation of, of the commandments that God has placed down, that God has given his people. There was also a report, and it's pretty dated now. It comes from 2001 by the Princeton uh, Religion Research Center. And Princeton, as we know, it's not the Princeton of Macon. It's, it's, it's gone very, 
very well off the track, but, but at least they made the statement that they noted that at that time there was the rise of seeker-friendly churches, that there was the growth, a real growth movement in this. And yet, when they sent their respondents out to ask people in these churches uh, how many of the Ten Commandments that they could say, um, it, wasn't, it wasn't really encouraging. So it's the idea that you know, you're going for this heartfelt experience and you go to, to, to sing and to, to, to present yourself before God, but at the same time you don't understand his law. So this, you know, is a... Today, the reason I wanted to come to the commandments again and, and go over this is just to see the richness of all that is there, the, the depth of, of what God is pointing to our liberty, you know, to pointing to what will make us free as a people. The preface, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. The law follows after a people have been redeemed. So it's not a matter of, you know, you do this and you'll have redemption. It's you are a redeemed people. You are a holy people. These are what you need to do. Your God, indicating that he has a personal relationship with each and every one of his people. You know, that God is speaking. That God is speaking directly to his people. A reminder of all that happened since the rescue from Egypt. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of your sin, out of your slavery. Through the saving work of Jesus Christ, and we'll talk about this, is this the kind of the bookend of this we see in the New Testament, places like Hebrews 12, where a great high priest, you know, who is completed all the things, completed the law perfectly, and delivered us. Um, we see that the law comes from God, who is our Savior and our Lord. There's a Dutch theologian from the 17th, uh, 1700s named uh, Joachim Duma, and he stated, the commandments follow the gospel of undeserved deliverance. Right? The commandments, the, the Israelites did not deserve. Right? They, they were sinful people, and we see this. Within 40 days, Moses goes back up on the mountain, and within 40 days, what are they doing? They're crafting a golden idol, right? So it's ironic that at Exodus 24-7, when Moses comes down the first time, the people say, we will do all the things that God has said, right? We will do all the things, we will keep the law of God, all the things that God has said, and yet in a very short time, we see that that is not the case. And you see this again and again through First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, um, you know, where the people's hearts very quickly fall. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 44 and answer, says the preface to the Ten Commandments teaches us that because God is the Lord and our God and Redeemer, therefore we are bound to keep all his commandments. And note, they were written in stone, not on papyri, not on paper, paper of the time, but in stone, in indicating the permanence. God indicated this to be a permanent statement about his character and what. Um, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Um, in the Hebrew, before my face. The idea, what is God's character? God is omniscient, right? God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. There's no place that God cannot see, right? So we're not to have any, he's enduring the people. They're not to have any kind of idol before them. You shall not have other gods before me. The Hebrew talks about, in the Hebrew, the idea of um, anything carved, an idol, you know, anything that's carved or man-made. This is anathema you know, before God's face. I, I don't want to diss on my, my Roman Catholicism when I was a kid, but it used to give me kind of an uneasy feeling. You'd go into church and they'd have all these statues. And uh, we had a, a really wonderful uh, 
community group last Sunday night at, at Barb Cab's house, and we watched Dr. Dr. Godfrey talk about how um, in the monastic area er, era that you had statues that represented the stigmata. You know, the idea that uh, the church said that Saint Francis, the Catholic Church says Saint Francis of Assisi, very shortly after he was dies, they 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 they. Um, canonize him as a saint, and one of the reasons they said is because he showed the stigmata. He showed the uh, wounds of Christ in his hands, in his side, in his feet, just like Jesus. So you see this pagan influence, you know, and how, how wrong that is. Um, through um, you know, through the, the narrative, once again, we see how um, the different kings, you know, it says certain the kings came along uh, the post-Solomon kings, and they came along, and it said that their hearts were with God, and they got rid of the play, high places, and they took the idols down. And then some of the kings, it talks about uh, how they got rid of some of the sites, but they did not get the high places. So we see, you know, through the narrative, this this idea of the syncretism that the Israelites all too often, after God had warned them before, you know, when He delivered them, He warned them about being careful to not become like the people, you know, to to, when you're going into a land that's going to be uh, a land of idols and a land of false gods, do not associate. Do not be taken over by that. And in the narrative, we see that again and again and again. You should not make yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for the Lord your God is a jealous God. We think about jealousy in terms of envy, in terms of, you know, uh, not being upset when we see someone else having something or, or not being satisfied, you know. And this is not what it's talking about at all. It's talking about God being a protector God, God loving his people, and God wanting to make sure and seeing, you know, that, that if they obey the commandments that they will be productive and holy and happy. And he's jealously guarding his people. He's giving these Ten Commandments as a way to say, you know, that, that I want you to live a life where you will be happy. Um, it reflects back to Genesis 1 through 3, right? God gives Adam and Eve how many commandments? One, to not you know, eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God says, you know, you can have all this wonder. You can have all the beauty that is there. You can, you, you're to populate it. You're, you're to enjoy it. But just don't do this. So God is saying, don't do this because I want you to have liberty. I want you to have freedom. And tragically, we know Adam and Eve um, fall. Said that I'm continuing continuously committing adultery against right. you as as my husband. Mm. Um, like you shouldn't be that way. Yeah, yeah and it it dovetails. By the way, Dave did a great job with apostasy last week. It dovetails with the, the idea that the farther you get away from the commandments, the easier it is to fall into apostasy. So, and yeah, you see that Tim has just done a great job with Hosea. You know, pointing to that um, jealousy, the idea of God protecting. Um, God was very gracious to us this, <clears throat> this summer because we got to go to New York. And uh, I made a promise to my kids, and I kept the promise that if they graduated high school and college, we'd go to New York. So we went to New York, and in the course of travel there, Karen tells me about the fact that she's found this author that she really loves, and she found out that she's going to do a book signing at the Sheraton, which is way across town. 
And we were at the Metropolitan, she told me this earlier than this, but she, we were at the Metropolitan Museum, which if you know New York is up by Central Park, and this Sheraton is way the other side of New York, down by Grand Central Station. And I watched my 22-year-old go off, and my heart was jealous in the sense of protection, because here this town of 8 million people, right, and, and she has to ride subways, and she has to be all alone. Well, it all went fine. She got to meet the author and got a picture and all that. And, and, but it was a great relief to me as a father when that key went in the hotel room door and I saw her walk through. Thank you. But God is a jealous God. He will not share his glory with anyone. Uh, before him, meaning in his presence or before the face of. Um, we, you know, see, I, I don't, we could go into a 20-minute discourse on how the phone has become an idol. But not the phone in itself, but just all that the phone points to. You know, my, uh, I see my kids, and I see how that's their life, you know, and how uh, I had, went to uh, one of the youth groups one night, and I so appreciated what uh, Scott Chad was teaching the kids about clickbait. You've never been on the computer, and you see one thing, and then it gets your attention. You click that, and you're onto something else, and something else, and something else. Well, I, I've found myself, you know, falling into that. Where half an hour later, it's like, what happened to that 30 minutes? You know, <laughs> didn't do anything of what I intended to do, right? It, so that I see as one of another example of a, a modern idol that we need to be careful of. Um, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You know, it, it's, it's an encouragement to me as you read through um, the uh, narrative on Elijah. You know, Elijah, when, when uh, Jezebel's coming after him, he despairs because he feels like there's no one standing for God but him alone. And what does God say? He says, I have my faithful remnant. I have my 7,000 that haven't what? Bowed the knee to Baal. You know, one of the commentaries, I think it was the Van Riken commentary, talked about he, they can understand the, uh, the, the attraction to Baal because the, the Baal worship had a, a, a component of, of going to the temple and having um, with, with the prostitutes at the temple. You know, the, 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 there was a sexual involvement with that. But with, with um, Chemosh, he didn't understand that because that involved the sacrifice, the burning of your children. You know? And yet, you see this again and again, that both the, the, the Chemosh and Baal and the other gods, that the Israelites fall trapped to it. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord your God will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. For the outline, what I hate to do is when people give outlines and not fill, fill out, but the first one... God is our Redeemer, therefore we're to keep his commandments. God identifies himself as Yahweh, all the things that God's holy name represents. Right? I am the Lord. I am that I am. If the law is from God, then by definition it must reflect his character. Each of the Ten Commandments is an aspect of his character. And then 2a, God is a jealous God. God desires to protect his people, to have them be holy and happy. Um, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. In the culture, um, I about it's a good pushing, I sh kind of scared to say, but almost 40 years ago I worked in a uh, construction office. And during that time is when I became a believer. And it's amazing that you know the carpenters and the bricklayers would come in 
And I never really heard all the cursing that went on. I mean, it just went over my head. And then after I came to Christ, it was like there was an offense in that, you know? I, I just I did not want to hear that, you know? And I was in a role where I could say, you know, watch your tongue. But I became aware that in the culture, how, how much we see, how the culture has changed. Yeah, we talked about it when I did the Exodus study about the word damn. Uh, when they did the... Uh, the movie in 1939, there was a great debate that went on whether or not Clark Gable could finish the movie by saying, Scarlet, I don't give a damn, right? The Hayes office did not allow any kind of cursing, but that was kind of like one of the moments where, where things changed. Um, today, you turn the television on, you can see anything and everything. You know, we have so many options, both with broadcast television and with cable and with, you know, Netflix and Hulu and all the various and sundry deliverers. I mean, Perverse stuff, right? In 1960, NBC had a, 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 stand, a, a department called Broadcast Standards, and it very clearly pointed out what you could and could not do. And one of the things that um, the younger generation wouldn't remember, but pre, prior to Jay Leno was Johnny Carson, and prior to Johnny Carson was Jack Parr. And Mr. Parr was told that you cannot say the word water closet on television. We don't mention anything that even begins to hint in a bathroom. He'd gone to London, and he was confused about how to find the loo, right? So he found out, people kept pointing about a water closet, and he was, well, NBC said, you can't say that. Turn NBC on today, right? <laughs> 50 years, in 50 years. And uh, a lot of coworkers will take Jesus' name in vain mm. uh, on a variety of occasions, mm. Very good. In Leviticus 24, it says, Now the son of an Israelite mother, an Egyptian father, went out among the Israelites. This is just a pointing to how God takes his name seriously. And a fight broke out in the camp between him and an Israelite. The son of the Israelite woman blasphemed the name with a curse. So they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shelameth, the daughter of Dibri, the Danite. They put him in custody until the will of the Lord should be made clear to them. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take the blasphemer outside the camp, all those who heard him are to lay their hands on his head, and the entire assembly is to stone him to death. Say to the Israelites, anyone who curses their God will be held responsible. Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord is to be put to death. The entire assembly must stone him, whether foreigner or native-born. When they blaspheme the name, they are to be, they are to be put to death. Right? Serious, right? God's name was to be honored. And, and what, a, what a difference in our culture today to see how easily it's used and how people, you know, I, I talked to my, my boss at the time, was my brother-in-law, and I didn't go to all the carpenters, but he'd go to him and say, could you, you know, avoid doing that? And he even admitted, he says, I'm even aware when I say that, you know, when I curse. It was Jesus this and Jesus that all day long. It was, it was like below the level of consciousness for him. He wasn't even aware that he was doing it. Um, so, we see in you know, Deuteronomy 6 that God says you're to teach this to your children. You know, you're to remind them of what, my, uh, what I expect of you, what I call you to be. <clears throat> I love my, um, we are to, you know, it says put them on the doorpost of our house, to put them on the frontals of our head. They, they, you, know, you see sometimes when you're down in Los Angeles, we'll go over to the uh, uh, Fairfax district and you'll see the, Has the Hasidic people and they'll be still wearing the frontals and wearing the the uh, uh, shawl, shawl that hangs out. So as a sign of respect to uh, 
um, to God's name. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Well, in the culture, we've you know, obviously forgotten that. You know, if you talk to people and ask them, I went to work tomorrow, probably the majority of the responses, I have a few believers that would say they went to church, but the majority of them, well, I slept in, and I got to do all the things that I didn't do the rest of the week, right? And um, it's, it's like one of, I think one of Satan's machinations is that he makes us so busy, you know, where, where it, it, people are just running and gunning all the time. And then Sunday becomes the default day where you try to catch up and do those things. But God is saying, no, the Sabbath is to be a somewhat different day, a day of rest, and a day of, of honoring me. And uh, we, uh, you know, we certainly don't see it obeyed. And it's, it's like something that was such a cultural um, standard 50 years ago is seen as strange today. I've had people that, that say, isn't that weird that Chick-fil-A closes on Sunday? Yeah. Every time I come back from University of New Mexico, we're coming through Flagstaff on a Sunday, and it's like, oh, I can't go to Chick-fil-A. It's closed. And I'm, th <laughs> I'm thankful for them. Um, the use of God's name. We see this again in the New Testament in Acts 19. It says, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, was doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. So, just a cautionary tale, right? Honor God's name. So, I'm sorry, I skipped back to the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Um, we, you know, we... God, God is a God who understands how we're made. You know, we need rest. We need more, most importantly, to worship him, you know, to bring our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In Matthew 22, they asked Jesus what was the great commandment, to love your God with your whole soul, your whole heart, and your mind. And the second of these is to love your neighbor as yourself. With the table, as the table shows us, the first four, the fifth, the honor of our parents and to the general culture, We'll talk about that in a minute. And then the last uh, five to our neighbor, to our society, our responsibilities to those of us. Um, I heard a, a speech by a gentleman who talked about, uh, imagine the Ten Commandments were in place today. Uh, last year, I think, the budget for Metro was like $240 million. Imagine if there was no stealing, no lying, no murder. If, if the Ten Commandments were, were, were the standard in our culture, you wouldn't need the police, right? You wouldn't need to have all the forces we have to keep social order, right? The, the, one of the uses of the law, right, is to point us to uh, what, what maintains a civil society. And as the farther, farther and farther we get away from the Ten Commandments, we see the chaos that it brings. Um, God gives, before the giving of the, com the, giving of the commandments in, in uh, Exodus um, 20, they had, they had uh, you know, fine examples. They had many examples of God setting this pattern. Uh, when God gives them the manna, what does he say? You'll collect it on six days. On the sixth day, you'll collect a double portion. On the seventh day, there'll be no, no, no provision, right? And you do not keep any overnight, right? That, that was a sign of trusting that God would provide enough, that God is a God of providence. So those Israelites that took a double portion 
um, the next morning they found out what? That, that uh, they had become, the, the remnant of the man had become wormy. So God, God was giving them an example. Each morning everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leader of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Thank you, Dave. So, even before the giving of the Ten Commandments, God is giving them an example, right? That there's to be this pattern, a pattern of six and one, of rest, you know, and all too often we find ourselves where the day of rest is not a day of rest, right? Yes, ma'am. Uh, it also points to the six-day creation. Right, the six days of creation. Right, get it done on six days. Well, I, I, the creation ordinance, very good, thank you. Yeah, I, I, I was very convicted by Terry about 25 years ago. I used to go to work on Sundays, and uh, because my work is so paper bound, and I found I felt I couldn't come up with it. And she said, you know, you're in disobedience. And suddenly, I found out that when I stopped doing that, I haven't done it in more than 20 years now. Is I found a way to get my work done. Right? It's amazing. It's amazing, but true. Leviticus 19.3, you must observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 23.3, a day of sacred assembly. We are to come together as God's people and to bring our worship. Uh, I love the Puritan Thomas Watson saying, imagine God saying, I'm not a hard master. I do not grudge thee time to look after thy calling and get, it, get to their, your estate. I've given thee six days to do all thy work in and have taken out but one day for myself. I might have reserved six days for myself and allowed you only one but I have given thee six days for the work of thy calling and have taken but one day for my own service. It is just and rational, therefore, that thou should set this day in a special manner. And in Nehemiah, uh, in those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on that day when they sold food. Tyrians also who live in the city brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath in Jerusalem itself. And then it talks about God's displeasure in that. So the Israelites, all too often, we see this, you know, even, even the Sabbath, the Sabbath was not kept. I liked a story years ago. I read, um, we had an elder um, years ago, a very godly man, an Air Force general uh, by the name of Bentley Rayburn. And his brother is a pastor up in um, Seattle. Tacoma, Tacoma, thank you. And uh, he tell, told a story, and the story was this. He said, imagine that a man leaves church, and he sees a beggar or a homeless person there in the streets of Seattle. And um, he puts his hand in his pocket, and he pulls out, and he's got $7. So he hands the beggar or the homeless person the $6. He says, now imagine if that homeless person then took a roundhouse punch, knocked the guy that gave him the $6 down, and stole the $7 away. So it's kind of like, you know, just pointing to the fact that God gives us this ample time. You know, we, we are called to be, to be uh, stewards of the time that God gives us. Use it wisely and to 
be able to, you know, set aside this day, to be able to truly uh, honor God. Um, But if you listen to me, declares the Lord, and bring in no burden by the gates of the city on the Sabbath day, and keep the Sabbath day holy and do no work on it, then there shall be... then. Then there shall enter by the gates of the city kings and princes who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and horses, and they and their officials. And this city shall be inhabited forever. And people shall come from cities of Judah and the places around Jerusalem, from the land of Bethlehem, from the hill country and from the Negev, bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices, grain offerings and frankincense, and bringing thank offerings of the house of the Lord. But if you do not listen to me to keep the Sabbath day holy and not bear a burden and enter by the gates of Jerusalem and on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates and it shall devour the places of Jerusalem, and it shall not be quenched, which we see fulfilled in 722 with the northern kingdom and 586 with <coughs> Judah and uh, Ephraim. So God, you know, calls us to make this day a different day, you know, to, to be able to worship and to honor him. Um, I know it's, you know, there's a lot of different teaching about, about what you can and can't do. And what Pastor Van Riken talked about is, Let's not get in the mindset of, of, of being a legalist, of saying, well, can I do this or can I do that? You know? Rather than seeing that, that, that this gracious day that God has provided. Yes, Ralph. I, I, I was raised in Seth Dad, uh, mm -hmm. and it was Saturday, mm -hmm. and it was Saturday, and it was Saturday. But if you read the Ten Commandments, it says, six days and then mm -hmm. it doesn't say you have to keep Saturday. It's just keep one day. So we keep Sunday. Mm -hmm. So I guess my question would be, and I, and I know it's a traditional thing, I know where it came out of, mm -hmm. and I've been over this hundreds of times, that you know the the the, the early church kept Sunday. So would it be consistent with the Ten Commandments to keep Monday. You know. Well, I think the, the biblical pattern is that the resurrection occurred on Sunday. Well, I, I, yeah, I, I, so. I get that, but there's nothing that says it has to be Saturday or Sunday. Or am I missing something? Um, I, certainly, we can bring our worship before God any time, but I, I think that the pattern that you know the no, New Testament... I, I, I get it, but yeah. the, the, technic, the technicality of the law I don't know if experience with mm. you keep, you do the six days and then the seventh mm. day. So, mm -hmm. would it be, if, if you had the church, you know, great God-believing, informed church mm. that decided that, that, you know, we just can't do Sunday because where we, we are, let's do Tuesday, mm. is that violating the Ten Commandments? I don't think it is. I mean, it, if you read, at least in Exodus 20, you're not violating the fourth commandment if you keep Tuesday. I think it's, you know, points, you know, yeah, it points back to the pattern that God has established, and it's an interesting question. I think you would have a hard time in the culture on other days, but, uh, and we actually had people leave the church, a couple guys who got so convinced that the Saturday... I submit you're not violating the commandments if you, if you keep a... Yeah, Terry. Yeah. Right. It's not going to happen. Leah.
What does it point to? It points to it. It points to the issue of the heart. That God is asking worship to come to God. Yes, Ron. Yeah, we work in the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. So that we met on the Lord's Day. Right. So that's why the Lord's Day is when corporate worship mm-hmm. happens mm-hmm. in the book of Acts. So that's the pattern of mm-hmm. the church and in scripture. And so, but we also need to look at worship as more of a broad, broader view mm-hmm. as well. I believe that you know all of life is worship mm-hmm. in that sense. A work. You, you take you if you go into a court of law and say you violated this law because you worshiped on Tuesday, you're gonna be acquitted. I, I only wish our courts had <laughs> I only wish our courts dealt with the even even gave gave a, a head nod to that. So um Guy, can I do next week then? Because we only got through. All right. We shall continue because we only got to commandment four. We got six more commandments to go through. So let's go ahead and close in prayer. What do we have? Six, no, we got a couple more minutes. The fifth, the fifth commandment. Um, our honor to parents. What in the culture? What what is the 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 um, way that as we raise as children are taught, we are taught by our parents, right? To honor our parents is to be able to say that I am also, you know, showing on to those that are put in authority over me. So it isn't just our parents, it's authority, any authority force. You know, this, this is very convicted me about 15 years ago when I read um, this um, commentary on Ten Commandments and it talked about even at work. You know, there are times when your supervisor gives you things which are they're not, not easy to deal with, right? But they're in authority over you. You may disagree with them, but essentially uh, the buck stops here. With, you know, when, when a law is put down, when a policy is put down, when we, talk to our, when we talk to our social workers, when we hire them in the interview, one of the questions we have, and we don't really care about exactly how they go about answering it, we're trying to see what their heart attitude is. And the question is, if you have a disagreement with your supervisor, what do you do? And what we want to hear is, well, you know, I, I, I communicate to them what, what my disagreement is, but essentially I have to follow the policy. You know, and when someone starts going in, well, I'd pull a policy out and I'd give it all my reasons why the policy is wrong and yada yada, and, and then in your head you're going, next, right? <laughs> and that's, that's not what we're looking for. So in the culture, there's a book that was written by Annie Gottlieb, uh, a social theorist about 15 years ago, called uh, Do You Believe in Magic? Um, and it's a quotation out of a song from The Loving Spoonful, right? It was a big rock and roll song, Do You Believe in Magic? And she says this, the generation that destroyed the American family, we, wait, we, the, the 60s, talking about the 60s, we might not have been able to tear down the state, but the family was closer. We could get our hands in it, and we believed that the family was the foundation of the state as well as the collective. We truly believed that the family had to be t- torn apart to free its love, which could only, only heal the damage done when the culture fell apart, and she's talking about you know post 
post-World War II and the atom bomb and so forth. But when you think about it, how the changes have taken place. In 1960, you know, the, the, the cultural mandate was that the, you follow the law, you respected authority. By 67, 68, you know, free love and drugs and all that that went on, it just, it's like a, a whiplash how in five to six to seven years the culture radically changed. And, and, and we're, you know, we're right now in, in 2019, we're feeling the ripples in the pond from that. That reverberates right down to this day. Uh, in, the, in the commandment, it says, um, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. It's a commandment with a promise, right? That it's to resonate through all our lives. That by giving honor to our parents shows, sets the pattern, you know, for honor to all those in authority over us. Um, what do we see in the 60s? We saw this high <coughs> bumper sticker. If you, if you had an old Volkswagen van, you'd see the uh, question authority, right? It was, it was a time where you questioned those in, in, in placement over you. I talked to a man yesterday. I uh, had the blessing of... of, of when I see guys with World War II or, or Vietnam, uh, I've, I've often gone up to start conversations with them. And the World War II generation is passing away. We have two, about 2,500 World War II vets die every day. So there aren't many left. And this gentleman was 96. And I asked him about his experience. And he, had, he was a, a, a radar operator down in Australia. He was with a 49th fighter group. And totally alert and oriented. That's, that's another separate topic about how some go into dementia. Other people keep their alertness all through their lives. And I asked him what he liked, what he liked and what he didn't like about it. And he said, well, one of the hard things was those darn Australians had blue laws. And we couldn't go drinking on Sunday. And I'm thinking, you're 96. You're facing the door of eternity, you know? And, you know, and just when I was about to start sharing with him, they called him. So, but I think about that man. That at 96, he's even saying, you know, that that was his memory, that he didn't like that restriction on, on Sunday. So we need to finish... Uh, commandment 5 and then commandment 6 through 10 uh, next week. So let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we do thank you um, for we know that you are a God of love and that when you set the commandments down for the Israelites and, and more so for us, that it was pointing to how we can have freedom. And we know that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, fully kept each and every one of these in every aspect uh, perfectly. And that by grace, by the grace of what the cross represents and by your faithfulness in keeping the commandments, that we have every hope of eternal life. Father God, we thank and we pray now as we go into worship that our hearts would be in the right place, that as we worship you and we bring our singing, as we listen to the sermon and as we come to your table, that all those things would be things that truly bring you pleasure and are truly honoring in your sight. And we ask this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.